0: So, good afternoon, everybody. So, for Jesus Christ, true God, and true man, the outline for our talk this afternoon will be, we will talk first about the incarnation of God, second, Jesus Christ as true God and true man, and then the hypostatic union. For this class, we will talk, we will focus on Jesus Christ as man. The incarnation of the word. So what does this mean, incarnation of the word? We just finished the Christmas season very recently. Um, And when we hear of the word incarnation, this is what should come to mind. Um, God or Jesus Christ or God the Son taking on our flesh becoming man like us but when the time had fully come god sent forth his son born of woman incarnation means from latin it comes from the latin word incarnare or incarnatio which means to have flesh or was made flesh so there maybe it will help us to focus on the words Karna or carne. So carne is meat. So there it's for the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus Christ, God the Son, taking taking on flesh with the incarnation. God had fulfilled his promise to Adam and Eve as they were expelled from paradise. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here we see the woman directly as, as Eve and then also uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, her seed being um, Jesus Christ our Lord. So when did... Um, the second person of the Blessed Virgin Mary, he take on flesh. So the word became flesh. So we remember that very well, I think from the Angelus also. The word became flesh when our mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, conceived in her womb the Son of God. So at the moment of conception, Jesus Christ was incarnated or the incarnation took place because at, during the conception, Jesus took on um, flesh no? on the cellular level, not when he was born in the manger during Christmas time, but when the conception took place in the womb of Mama Mary this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him so this is the only reason um, that the second person of the blessed trinity became man so that he will be one like us and being one like us therefore he can um, make up for the sins of our first parents, for the, for the sins of Adam and Eve. Because how do you make up to a God? How can man make up uh, to an offense made to God? I remember an analogy made before during a class I attended, and they, they were saying, how can an ant ever make up for, for something bad that he has done to a carabao maybe. He is so small compared to the carabao. And if you think of man and God, the difference is even more, is infinitely greater. So there was no way for man to, to make up for the sin that he, he, he committed against God, the sin of disobedience. Uh, how do you make up to a God? Another God has to to make up for that and that is the reason why uh, God the Father sent God the Son to be one like us so that when he made up for the sins of man the gates of heaven might will open for, for us. True God from true God be caught and not made consubstantial with the Father through him all things were made for us men, and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. The Nicene Creed is a longer version of the Apostles' Creed, and which we, if you, well, if you pay more attention, which we recite during special um, feasts of the Church. Christ said of Himself that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. We read that from St. Luke and from John. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved by him. God the son was sent in order to save and redeem man. So in this, the divine wisdom was made manifest in the way... God decided to save man, which is the way most appropriate to human nature through the incarnation of the Word. Ancient non-Christian testimonies from pagans and Jews saying that Jesus indeed lived in history. Events described in the Gospels are events that really took place. Jesus Christ really is a, a man Rooted in history, he was um, born into this earth like all of us. Jesus became truly man while remaining truly God. Jesus is true God and true man. Jesus is not part God and part man. Jesus is not the result of a confused mixture, mixture of the divine and the human so in the incarnation is a uh, is the mystery of the wonderful union of the divine and human natures in the one person of the word union of the divine and human natures in one person that concept might be difficult to comprehend and man throughout the centuries have fallen into misconceptions and errors on the true nature of Jesus Christ. Men who are very learned and who have dedicated their whole lives studying, studying Jesus Christ. So what are some of these misconceptions and errors? One, we have Jesus was simply a man, although a very holy man. So some were saying he is very holy, but he is really only just a man he is not a god so but are we saying jesus is god and jesus is man what is another error jesus was the adopted son of god so jesus was only a man in whom god's strength dwelt so as early as the second Century after Anno Domini in the year of Christ, after Jesus Christ was born, these errors were already um, coming up. Jesus performed the miracles because God lent him his power, but he is not really God. He is just an adopted son of God. Another error, Jesus was not divine, therefore Jesus Christ is not God year three two, five or grown up in all of these errors it was very difficult for these people to to accept that Jesus was man and was God so all of these care, errors came about because it was difficult for them to accept that um And then another error, Jesus did not have a true human soul. All of these errors came about throughout the the centuries. And the church has studied them and has come up with definitive rulings on um, on these misconceptions and errors. And the church has said, that jesus christ is true god and true man so that's all we have to remember jesus is true god and jesus is true man so from 323 years later in one person there are two natures the human and the divine hypostatic union hypostasis means a person That's all that it means, a person. The union of two persons in Christ. What are the two persons? Person as man and person as God. They are all united in one God, in in Jesus Christ. Two natures, one person. The union of the two natures, I think should be two natures in Christ takes place by hypostasis, union of two natures in one person, hypostatic union. So in the Nicene Creed, this union is termed as consubstantial, of the same substance. So God the Son is the same substance as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So it, it's just a semantics because the Nicene Creed came about earlier than this word no the consubstantial was an earlier word and then after consubstantial came hypostasis or hypostatic union but they refer to the same thing which is the union of the two natures of Christ in one person so these councils use language following in ordinary life and in the theology of their time. So Jesus is inseparably true God and true man. Jesus is truly the son of God who, without ceasing to be God and Lord, became a man and our brother. So what are some of the misconceptions and errors with regard to this um, topic So in Jesus, there are two subjects, the divine subject and the human subject, united by a moral bond, but not physically. Mama Mary, who is the mother of Christ, cannot be the mother of God. So we call Mama Mary the mother of God because we believe that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. but They're saying we cannot call Mama Mary mother of God because she is only the mother of Jesus Christ, the man. She is not the mother of Jesus Christ as God. Another one is Jesus was a person who subsisted in a single nature. His human nature was absorbed into his divine nature. So this is also a misconception and an error. So there are two natures, uh, the human nature and the divine nature, which merged into one person through the hypostatic union. The human nature of Jesus was assumed, not absorbed, the full reality of Christ's human soul with its intellect and will and his human body. Jesus Human soul possesses true human knowledge. By that we mean that Jesus has acquired knowledge, he has infused knowledge, and he has knowledge which is proper to the blessed in heaven. What is acquired knowledge? Jesus had to inquire for himself what one in the human condition can only acquire from experience. An example would be acquired knowledge for Jesus would be how to become a good carpenter, how to make a good dining table. So that scene in The Passion comes to mind where he was working on a table and Mama Mary came to call him because it was time to eat already. So there, Jesus... um, had to learn that for from himself, from experience, and maybe from working uh, with St. Joseph. And then infused knowledge. Jesus also had infused knowledge. Knowledge not directly acquired by the work of reason, but infused directly by God in the human intellect. But Jesus did not trust himself to them in that he knew all men, and because he had no need that anyone should bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Normal man does not have infused knowledge. But God being God and man, Jesus gave him infused knowledge. He had it already because he was God. And then blessed blessed knowledge, Jesus enjoyed in his human knowledge the fullness of understanding of the eternal plans he had come to reveal and he began to teach and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be put to death and after three days rise again. And what he said, he spoke openly. And Peter, taking him aside, began to chide him. And but he, turning and seeing his disciples, rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for thou dost not mind the things of God, but those of men. So Jesus knew ahead of time what was in store for him in terms of the eternal plans that that God had in order for man to merit heaven once again. Christ possesses two wills and two natural operations, divine and human. They are not opposed to each other, but cooperate in such a way that the Word made flesh Will humanly in obedience to his father, all that he had decided divinely with the Father and the Holy Spirit for our salvation. Christ's human will does not resist or oppose, but rather submits to his divine and almighty will. And when we say the when we read this, what comes to mind? is the passion of our Lord in the garden of Gethsemane when he said there, not my will, but yours be done when I suppose when, when what will happen to him in the next uh, three days flash before his, his eyes being man, he was a little scared of the pain and the suffering that he will have to go through. But He said, not my will, but yours be done. So he was able to conform his human will to the divine will. So in God, always, um, the human will always supports the divine. Well, unlike us normal humans, because we don't have a divine nature, sometimes or oftentimes, it is hard to conform the human will to the divine will. We see very clearly that this is what we have to do. This is the right thing to do. But we we fail many times to, to go. Let us talk about the incarnation and the use of images. What are images? Pictures of our Lord. Paintings on the wall, frescoes, and then icons were on paintings on wood or even statues of the Romans. So for centuries, theologians had shown themselves to be for or against the use of images. Really, But both positions had coexisted peacefully. So for those against the use of images... They say that God's infinity cannot be enclosed or circumscribed within a limited painting. But those for the use of images, like Saint Damascene, he stressed yes, we agree that God is really infinite, but the incarnation itself circumscribed the incircumscribable word. So by the fact of the incarnation, something infinite, something incircumscribable was circumscribed. So since the word became flesh in assuming a, a true human nature, Christ's body was finite. Therefore, the human face of Jesus can be The individual particularities of Christ's body express the divine person of the Son of God. He has made his own, the features of his own human body, to the extent that painted on a sacred image, they may be venerated. Because the believer who venerates his image, venerates the person it represents. Well, this discussion has been going on. For 700, almost 800 years, until in 787 in the Council of Nicaea, which produced the Nicaean Creed, the church recognized Jesus' representation in holy images to be legitimate. So that puts a, an end to the controversy We venerate the images. We do not adore the images. So it is okay for us to have images of our Lord, of God the Father, or of the Holy Spirit, because we venerate the image and we venerate the person that it represents. Um, In your home, uh, there is a pious practice of what dedicating the home to the sacred heart of Jesus. And so... We have, um, we all have, we enthroned the sacred heart in a new home, in our first home. And we see there you know, the sacred heart really, well, visually a heart there on the chest of our Lord or on the hand of our Lord um, as if giving it giving it to us. So there when we see that, it should move us to remember that he knew and loved each and all of us during his life, his agony and his passion. And he gave himself up for each one of us so that we may merit um, to enter into uh, heaven. So I end with a few words from St. Josemaria Escriba taken from the forge. He came on earth because... He wants to redeem the whole world. While you are at your work shoulder to shoulder with so many others, never forget that there is no soul that does not matter to Christ. Mm